As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Burn and Return. I'll be your host. My name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the grass factor. And quick little housekeeping here that we wanted to bring up is this week's Thirsty Thursday. We have an extra special guest, the founder, the one, the only, the quite oh so saucy, John Ware. He is the founder of the Lawn Forum. And uh, I think that's going to be a great episode. But this week we are doing a Thirsty Friday in lieu of a thirsty Thursday. So I just wanted to throw that out there. It's going to be a super fun episode, an exciting episode. Um, however, it is my son's birthday, so we are doing a thirsty Friday in lieu of a thirsty Thursday. Is that out of the way, let's introduce who's going to be on the show with me tonight. Mr. Ryan DeMay. Coming to you live here from D Block, Matt. Yep, down here in the basement. Um, yeah, you know, let's just see what happens here. The uh, I don't even know where to begin. There was a lot of things that came up in the feed this week, just you know, organically. I didn't have to go out and search for any of these topics this week, and each one of them chapped my ass in in their own special way. And I'm excited to talk about it with y'all. <laughs> Well, I'm good. I'm glad you feel holed up in a place that's familiar to all of us, having spent significant amounts of time of prison there in D Block. Uh, Ray, how the hell are you, Mr. Ito? I'm physically well, I suppose. I had a little bit of a foobar moment, but otherwise I'm well. Tell us about the foobar moment. I got to find out what happens when somebody drives into a Toro Greensmaster 1000 at approximately 25 to 30 miles per hour. I'm guessing the vehicle won. That's just me doing the, uh, no, the force no, equals the, mass the vehicle, times acceleration. That's where I'm at Actually, right the vehicle lost because that... 250-pound chunk of metal essentially took out the guy's engine block because for him <laughs> chilling my mower, what he got was a totaled and non-repairable vehicle. Did you feel relieved knowing that his vehicle would no longer be a vehicle on the road? Did you? I mean, was there a certain amount of satisfaction that came with that, knowing 
your equipment took away his livelihood. An eye for an eye. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't feel uh, <laughs> that. Wait, 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 Ray, because... Ray, Ray. Did you whoop his ass? Let's start there. Did you get out and beat the man with the cane? Nope. <laughs> Collapsible baton comes out. Good. That means everything else from this point forward in the conversation, I don't have to worry about that because Ray I did not we were, take another person's life. When you said, when you kind of related the situation there, I thought we were going to get to the death talk really early in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's just where, just where my head went. Yeah, guys, I got what? rear-ended. He broke my mower and I killed the guy. <laughs> Brick, what? you should probably get out of town and lay low for a while. <laughs> Is that a <laughs> It's a Trident sprayer, and I yes, impaled a man with it. Or so not. what are you gonna do? Or not. What are you gonna do? It, it looks like uh, I'm now in the market for a newer Toro GM 1000, and mm -hmm. I'm looking at one that is recent enough that it can get fitted with a groomer because the 1996 GM 1000s are so old that the Toro doesn't make the groomer attachment for them anymore. Ray, because I, I've got I one asked. word for you. i got one word for what you right it? now. Baroness. Just putting it out there. If I can. Whoa. If I can. You'll get you one. Counter-rotating <laughs> groomer, you will have your mind blown, sir. You will love it. Whoa. I don't, Ray, could you handle another brand aside from Toro in your arsenal? Yes and no. Yes and no, because <laughs> the the downside is, is that I dialed in how to make a Toro Greensmower cut lawn height Zoisha without choking or complaining or or, you know, otherwise uh, having problems because there, I, I researched all the mowers, Ryan, and there are mm -hmm. very few mowers that can get their clip height, I mean, their clip rate, et cetera, adjusted so that they can safely and effectively mow lawn height Zoisha. Interesting. I, so if that's the case, I don't know. I got to look and see because I'm not two up on walk behind greens mowers no but you should be able to uh, if, if, two things number one the baroness is going to absolutely be the most robust mower that you can buy right now because it's all gear driven right like everything inside of it mm -hmm. is all gears so there's uh, mm -hmm. as far as not worrying about a belt slipping or something like that or shearing a belt now that's the nice thing is that it's the weak point and if it shits the bed it's 25 bucks or whatever and you know maybe 20 minutes of your time to put it back together but i tell you the baroness is pretty stout um i don't know that email, you know ray get an email the uh, <laughs> I, I don't know where people are at now with with the tech and everything like that but i know jake had that mower he had the eclipse mower where you could set you know your clip rate literally on a readout a digital readout on the mower itself independent of your ground speed so if you wanted to mow at three miles an hour and you wanted your clip rate to be you know 0.187 boom boom 
set it and it'll adjust your real speed right independent of your forward ground your forward travel speed so could you I don't imagine know giving ray are. that kind of data of like independent control of your clip rate and your mile per hour i mean he would spend how many how many hours would you spend dialing that down into the most perfect <laughs> cut imaginable ray i could just see weeks of your life evaporating testing it no you no you wouldn't because i there's i understand I've already done the that. relationship yeah, between clip rate and height of cut. <laughs> I already get it. So my understanding is is that your clip rate should never be more than approximately 75% of your actual height of cut. No more. I'll take your word for that because so, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know, I know because... I know what happens when the clip rate is severely mismatched. And especially when you're not mowing at green height, it turns into that frustrating experience where you make multiple passes over the turf and you wonder why the grass is still not being cut. Mm. Boy. I ain't got time for that. Ryan's doing math over there. I just heard it. I am. I'm, I'm going to the I'm microphone. Gonna... I'm going to look into this here and get, I have to get, now I have to get answers, right? So I will probably spend several hours this week talking to superintendents and sales reps to find out where uh, walking greens mower tech is right now, just because that's how big of a loser I am. But uh, hey, all of this, all of this triggered by some dickhead in Hawaii. So sir, wherever you are, Paying out your full deductible and fucking over my friend. Yeah. Eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> Two of them. Two of them. One for oh, me as well. Yeah. You know what? Make it three. One for Jay Pink also. Yeah. Because my guess is, is that he was texting because when he, colli- when he collided, I did not hear tires oh. squeal or, or anything like the sound of somebody panic breaking. I thought you were going to say he stayed in his car after and finished the text. Like, okay, I got to go. Bye. <laughs> oh. Sheila, I rear-ended a guy, but please send me that picture you promised you'd send. Yeah. I'll come rear-end your bumper <laughs> later, baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, with that, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to total that ass. gentlemen let's dive into this week's headlines (laughs) nothing to fear here this is just just the news gentlemen the news is going to kick off with a beautiful one here i don't know if you've ever heard the book called lawn boy jay pink found this article specifically because of my affinity for being called the lawn boy over so many years of my career (laughs) I absolutely <laughs> hated it, and there was nothing that would trigger me faster than, oh, honey, look, the lawn boy is here, and it would send me into an absolute tizzy for multiple days on end. However, what we have come to find out is the book that goes by the title Lawn Boy is not what we think it is. Brandy Barkman making a complaint about the book Lawn Boy at a Leander independent school district board meeting leander is in texas somewhere uh the book in question is lawn boy by jonathan evison 
Washington Post review of the book describes it as a semi-autobiographical tale spiked with angst and anger, but also full of humor and lots of hope. At a September 9th school board meeting, though, a parent described the content of the book as depraved and likened some passages to pedophilia. We're going to hop down to page 19 here, and I quote, she said was the following, not that it really matters in fourth grade at a church youth group meeting out in the bushes, I touched Doug, Doug Goebel's bleep bleep, and he touched mine. In fact, there was even some mouths involved. Continuing on page 91, she, she read, what if I told you I touched another guy's bleep bleep? What if I told you I sucked it? I was years old, which is highly underage. And it's true. I put Doug Gobbles in my mouth. I was in grade. It was no big deal. He did it to me, too. And you know what? It wasn't terrible. Uh, hey, hey. That's right. We're going to need to restart the news with how intense this one is. What hey. sort of diversity are you intending to teach my child with material like this? In addition, I'll share with you the exceptional quality of vocabulary. I stopped counting on page 66 after 44 F words and 41 S words. Gentlemen, this sounds like wonderful reading here. Uh, and it was found in a fourth grade library. Uh, so this was being promoted to... Uh, or available for, not necessarily promoted, it was available for fourth graders to read. I got to hear from y'all, who's going to buy out, who's going to go out and buy the first copy of Longboy and read it? Hey, listen, um, you know, they, they teach kids younger and younger all kinds of stuff, and I don't know understand why. <laughs> you know, they really ought to start off like they did with us in school and just show you, like, the miracle of life video with a, with a woman giving birth, right? And that's usually enough to scare you straight until you're at least 16, 17, right? And then at that point, it's just basically, uh, you know, you taking your own chances and then that crushing anxiety, right, that comes along with those two words, right? I'm late. Yeah. So that whole, that's a weird period, man, from like age 10 to like age 20. You know, you're still trying to figure stuff out, but nobody this young should be getting this book. By the way, though, if you are going to go to GIE, Matt will be signing copies of the Lawn Boy at the, lo <laughs> at the local Barnes and Noble in Louisville. So please stop down, with Fleckle. Right? I will Fleckle sign <laughs> the uh, the copy of, of Lawn Boy. Ray, was this uh, on uh, right there within a, a, a meter of reach of you at all times as you were a developing fourth grader? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, uh, I didn't think so. This sounds. No, this sounds to me like uh, the uh, kind of material that I see more like in the seedy parts of town, <laughs> not open to minors, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you know, listen, I read some angsty books when I was younger. You know, I guess you, The Catcher in the Rye was, uh, was a bit controversial at one point. Um, it wasn't when time, yeah. I was in school. Yeah. Um, and I read it and I enjoyed it. And, you know, there was some depictions of uh, sex workers and other things in it as well. But I think I was like in high school or something by the time I read it. And, uh, you know, I just I could tell you right now that I know one day my son would come across this and, and see the lawn boy, the book and be like, oh, dad, look what I found. I would be like, no, son, you put that MF or down one because I'm not a lawn boy. And two, because that's 
horrifically filthy for your fourth grade mind. Yeah, well, it's horrifically filthy for anyone because basically <laughs> it's just, uh, how can I say it? It's the T blank blank N. You know, it's T blank blank N. Pen fi- porn. Pen 15? Pen 15? Mm hmm. Pen 15, yeah. Yep. You got to watch out for that. Well, while we're on the topic of children, <laughs> let's take a very dark and malaise turn here, as if that was not dark enough. How do we how do we absolutely light this up with napalm? There's a boy, six years old, fighting for his life after a lawnmower threw a twelve inch piece of steel at his head. A six year old boy's fighting for his life after a lawnmower threw a twelve inch piece of steel at his head while he was playing in a school field. Alex Hook is in a medically induced coma after suffering severe brain damage since the incident on September 10th, just behind Riverview Elementary in Silver Lake, Wisconsin. His mother, Karen, 49, said, when I arrived at the hospital emergency room, teams were preparing him for the scan. He was already sedated and had several machines hooked up. I kept telling myself because it, it, that this must be a nightmare. It feels like the hands of Father Time had stopped. Every day that goes by, we thank the Lord that Alex is still with us and fighting for his life. At about 11.30, the mower ran over a waste piece of rebar, and it was projected out through a chain-link fence that surrounded the school grounds and towards the kid. The metal projectile was a half-inch wide, 12 inches long, and struck first-grader Alex, who was bending down at the time in the back of his head. Man, this is horrific. Absolutely horrific. How does this happen? Is this a freak thing? Was the mower modified, you know, with an open shoot or something? To, how, how does this happen? I honestly don't know. I ne- I've never hit a piece of rebar like this either, though. Look, he's got to go fund me. If you've got the extra dollars, feel free. You take, it, take it upon yourself if it so behooves you to, uh, to support this kid because he needs it. And in the absolute worst case scenario, his parents may need it in the event that he doesn't pull through, which is just... Horrific. Y'all know more about mowers than I do. How does this happen? Someone explain it to me. I mean, there's a lot of ways it could happen. It's probably a zero turn. I'm going to guess, right? So side discharge. And that's definitely something you can get in the deck, right? And shoot out, right? If you hit it just right. So my guess, it's laying down on the grass. The dude probably didn't see it, right? And just unlucky right i mean it shoots out like that now here's the other question too is it says he was on the playground or something like that like yeah you you there's a lot of things that went wrong here ray right to get to this point like it wasn't just one thing yeah it wasn't just a person left that there a person didn't check was that the only piece did they find other pieces and they just didn't pick this one up how do we go about picking it up? Did anybody like walk over it with a magnet or a metal detector and drag that through to make sure that we didn't have anything else out there? I mean, it just, it, you know, all that stuff aside, right. Of, of how do we get here? I mean, that's all going to get, you know, taken apart in the legal system and, and all that. And the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, people are going to say, Oh man, he's going to sue. His parents are going to sue and they're going to make all this money, whatever, the kid's in a freaking coma, right? a medically induced coma right now. And I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to say it's going to take a long time, a long, long time for this kid to get back to quote unquote normal. And 
it's just I guess the whole point for me here is just that you know a lot of times and even with our own kids right we take for granted how dangerous some of the shit that we do can be can really really be right like you know even uh, you know running a string trimmer right? and i know there's a reason why you run rotary scissors as part of this is it's not going to eject anything and throw it towards somebody but you know just take stock of what you're doing that should be the take-home message here is Think about, you know, situational awareness, not just, hey, what do I have to do? But what else is going around me right now? Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe this dude was 35, 40 feet away. Didn't think anything of it. But, man, there had to be about another 10 acres that you probably could have mowed at that time or come back at a different time. So I just <clears throat> seriously like this. This absolutely breaks my heart. It's uh, uh, man, I I can't. So. I don't know, Ray. What do you think? Okay, here's what I think. Because what I started seeing being used in public and municipal areas like schools, uh, I think starting in the 1990s, was are you all familiar with what's called a flail mower? Yes. Okay. In a lot of cases, like on school grounds, Mm-hmm. I see the custodial staff using a flail mower rather than a conventional rotary deck. I also see a lot of flail mowers being used on roadside mowing by the municipality as well. Because here's what would happen if a flail mower catches a piece of rebar. It gets caught up in the swinging L-shaped knives. It gets deflected downward by the half pipe shaped, uh, you know, covering over the over the flail blades, and it just gets driven straight back down into the ground, and not out at a person, property, or other at two hundred miles per hour, like how that piece of rebar probably shot out of that rotary mower deck. Let me let me ask you. What is the argument against using flail mowers? I don't. I don't know. Is the cut quality low or? Oh yeah, I mean what? it's not. It's not for finished looking turf, right? It's more for mowing down roadsides and things of that nature, like really high grass and trying to knock it down, right? So you might be going from twelve inches down to six or five or something like that. It's definitely gotcha. not for finished. Cor- I'll go ahead. I have, to, I have to correct you on that because. If that flail mower is equipped with thinner knives, uh-huh. it can be used for finish work. It can be used for Finishing finish work. Finishing flail mower. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, oh man, yeah. Okay, there's it, some it, there's some YouTube stuff I'm gonna dig into here. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, like this one place that I see it used at is this big resort ground uh, out on the west side of the island and the mowing crew there uses flail mowers to mow this uh, two acre piece of grass that is like right next to the beach and they have no way of locking that area off during the daytime so they use a flail mower because you don't want a piece of steel going through the head of somebody that uh, was here on vacation for a week from, say, Michigan or Ohio. I mean, they, 
They don't need that <laughs> at all. Uh, that's one way to extend your vacation, though. Um, you know, <laughs> the other thing I'll say here is that one thing that's become a little bit more, I wouldn't say common, but um, you're seeing more manufacturers picking up on rear discharge decks for zero turns ray mm -hmm. and baffling those just like a flow mower with chains or something like that so that you don't get that rear eject notwithstanding the fact you've got the tires and some other stuff back there too so it's i, I don't know somebody i think charles bb said in the chat that the that he's local or somewhere close by up there and he said it was somewhere between like 25 and 50 feet that this mower was from the playground which in my mind is still way too close like go mow somewhere else mm -hmm. you know yeah, get there the, at the ass crack at dawn the, when the, the kids are getting there, not when they're on the playground. But I digress. I don't know all the facts. I don't know all the facts. Absolutely, uh, Ryan. Because to me, my my policy in general is I don't want to see anybody within at least a hundred feet of where I'm operating something like even an edger or. Even the rotary scissors, I mean, I never know. I, my, my policy has always been if I'm operating spinning cutting equipment, uh, you're safer somewhere else. Mm. Okay? You're safer somewhere else because I just uh, don't want to have to explain why you have a rock uh, shot through the middle of your head or you know why 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 are you all banged up i mean did i do that <laughs> yeah it's a t it's a it's a terrible thing and I, I don't know maybe maybe this is maybe this paves the way for the technology to make sure it doesn't have to happen again like this although you know i'm sure to an extent this is just a, a freak accident um, but still, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. There's no doubt about it. Um, I'll try and lift us a little bit from the, the, the downtrodden nature of what we just went through. My <laughs> goodness. Uh, oh. I guess we're going to talk about Gabby Petito murder next. I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, God. the climate no. works orca plant in Iceland will capture CO2 at big new scale. The Orca uh, is a machine that will capture 4,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide per year and serve as a blueprint for similar technology. A major new facility to pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere started operating in Iceland on Wednesday, a boost to an emerging technology that experts say could eventually play an important role in reducing the greenhouse gases that are warming the planet. By capture, uh, the carbon capturing plant perched on a barren lava plateau in southwest Iceland is the biggest of its kind, its builder says, increasing global capacity for the technology by more than 40%. Many climate experts say that efforts to suck carbon dioxide out of the air will be key to making the world carbon neutral in the coming decades. By 2050, we will need to pull nearly a billion metric tons of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, but... Starting with 4,000 metric tons is, well, indeed a start. They pull the carbon dioxide out of the air and uh, dissolve it into water that they then pump into the ground uh, into uh, 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 shelves of basalt rock to store it, right? 
Uh, they said the CO2 capture could also go in towards carbonating soft drinks um, and uh, or even to farmers to feed their plants with it. Although I'm not too sure uh, how many farmers are feeding their plants with CO2, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me unless you're growing in a greenhouse. Don't the plants feed themselves? Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, I don't know. Uh, anyway, I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, it was cool. At the moment, the costs are high. It's about six hundred to eight hundred dollars per metric ton of carbon dioxide. Um, they need to be around a hundred to one hundred and fifty per ton. That's necessary to turn a profit without the help of any government subsidiaries. But you know, hey. It's a step in the right direction, right? I guess. Uh, I don't know. This is like, Ray, you you guys probably experienced this on the island. Remember when, like, uh, what, 30, 40 years ago when uh, desalinization plants, like, really started to kind of be a thing and could be, they were there, but they were, like, incredibly expensive, right, to build and to operate and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Now it's a little bit better, but it's not great. I think in that market, and you might know better than I do because we don't have a whole lot of uh, salty water here in Ohio. So where where do you peg this in, as sort of a corollary between the desal plants and then this emerging technology, which is five to six X uh, at cost above its uh, profit range, which is probably not a great investment right now, but hey, good for them to try. Well, well, I just look at the energy costs of extracting the carbon dioxide from the air and sequestering it like that because it takes energy. And I'm always asking, for all of these environmental projects, where does the energy needed to make them happen come from? Well, it does say yeah, that they have to he- heat it near bo- like near two twelve Fahrenheit or hundred C, mm-hmm. and I don't. It doesn't really mm-hmm. say how they do heat that. So I'm curious too. Of there, there's a lot of things in there that um, I, I I think this is obviously a very speculative technology, right? Hoping that they can capitalize on a market that they even at least quote in the in the piece, right? That it's not even there yet. There isn't even a market for it at this point. So, yeah, yeah, there's no market for it. And the other question is again, where does the energy come from? Because I always look at actual unfiltered, unadulterated carbon footprint. That is my, uh, I guess that is my number. That is my, my factor of judgment is where are you getting the energy needed to? extract carbon dioxide, compress it. Because by the way, at ambient pressures and temperatures, carbon dioxide doesn't dissolve in water at high enough concentrations because in order to make a soda, for example, carbonated water, you first Mm -hmm. need to chill the water and then inject that carbon dioxide into that water at at least 80 PSI. I do also enjoy how we're going to solve the global carbon crisis by 
putting out more sugary soft drinks to kill everybody with obesity, diabetes, and you know all that other fun stuff. Good call. Yeah, heart disease, heart disease. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you're Boys, into, fire up, fire up your cases of bubbly. Get to drinking because we're about to be overrun with it, gentlemen. For breakfast, lunch, and dinner, <laughs> now flowing from our school water fountains, bubbly. Your favorite CO2 laden beverage. Uh, before we move on to this week's burns, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor. Our, our sponsor this week is Field Source Ohio. And I think we have the perfect person to talk about this. And his name is Ryan DeMay. Ryan, talk to us about Field Source Ohio. Well, Matt, uh, Field Source Ohio, it's a, it's a fantastic company run by fantastic people. Um, really, the the number one thing I can tell you about field source is that um, if they do their job well, which they usually do a fantastic job, if they do their job well, everybody associated with that athletic field, from the players to the parents to the coaches to the athletic directors, program administrators, uh, rec and park directors, mayor, city council people, and the community at large, they will all do better if field source does a great job for them, and so. I implore you, if you do have a field project on hand, if you've got one you're thinking about, or if you have a situation when it comes to the maintenance of your fields, you're not quite sure how to put it all together between the administrative side, the maintenance side, and the folks that are using it and all the user groups, that's when you can talk to FieldSource. We love to put together those programs for people so that everybody has a seat at the table. And we all get the best outcome for each of those groups. So thanks for plugging it, Matt. Damn glad to see it. There's our mascot Zip right there. Bow! Somebody get him mm. a fleckle of some information in that contact form, and uh, and we'll see where it goes. J-Pink, <laughs> let's roll into this week's Burns. Yes, yes, boy. This first well, one, she, I mean, she, this... Uh, Sheila, Sheila did a... Sheila did a spot for us this whole yeah, time. That was Sheila. That was the one that you were going to rear end at the start of the episode. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Sheila. <laughs> She's going to pay you back. <laughs> we can take care of this right here, right here on Guys, Alabama I Boulevard. Thought, <laughs> I thought this was out of Florida. Uh, it turns out, <laughs> it turns out this is out of Louisiana. Not much different uh -huh. than Florida. <laughs> Crowley lawn care worker arrested for theft and burglary after allegedly stealing from a uh, a client. Chad Paul Laverne, 46 of Crowley, faces charges of theft and burglary and was booked into Acadia Parish Jail on an $11,500 bond. The victim reported the theft of a welding machine as part of a burglary of her residence. It was not the first time theft had been reported by the victim, and in the investigation, it was found that her lawn care worker was a possible suspect. Gibson said one of his deputies used serial numbers to track down the missing items. I appreciate the efforts of the deputy by following up on this case, which led to the arrest and recovery of thousands of dollars of property. I would also like to add that the victims maintaining records of serial numbers and photos also played a major role in the property being recovered and identified. You know, Chad Paul Laverne here gives a bad reputation to all of us. And I, this is, this is no lie. One of the things that uh, 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 a marketing exercise I went through um, was identifying your target customer, right? 
And so I built all these customer groups and, you know, one of them that I I identified what I called like traveler Terry. Right. And it's the guy that is always like, yeah, man, I'm in Greece this week. And then the week after that, I'm in Prague. And then the week after that, I'm in the Czech Republic. And the week after that, I'm in Ireland, you know, and he's like, but when he comes home, he's, he's partying and he invites all his friends over. They're all coming in from out of town and he just wants to make sure everything looks great and everything is safe because he's on the road. Right. And because I had a couple of customers that every time you talk to them, they were traveling somewhere wild and bizarre and stuff, you know? And so that became one of my marketing messages is that, you know, I'm it, it, the people that are going to be on your property are going to be trustworthy people that aren't going to do this shit. I think in terms of a service company separating themselves, having the wherewithal to identify these types of people like Chad Paul Laverne here and getting them out of the way and not being uh, having access to customers is a, is a, is a great thing. Um, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was interesting and what a piece of shit Chad Laverne is here. Yeah. Real shit back. You know, today I learned guys, Mr. Clean does lawns and felonies. How about that shit? Throw the picture up. Throw yeah. that picture up, Jay Pink. Look at this guy. Look at this shit bag. Tell me he's not like they put him on the freaking magic eraser. Look at that. This guy oh, yeah. has snorted an unbelievable amount of meth, probably leading up to him having this picture taken. Guaranteed that guy goes to Raising Cane's and does a line of Coke at lunch right off the back of the toilet in the men's room. And he goes and gets himself a maniac and he goes back to work stealing shit. That's, this guy that's probably has less vision. teeth than I do. <laughs> you got a mouthful of them. I did, hardly. Do you see all the missing ones when yeah. I smile? Yeah, you got you that's got a not, mouthful. That's like not meth used either. <laughs> that's all your hockey playing days in Canada. I, no, <laughs> it's all the frustration of the world with people like Chad Laverne out there that give me severe anxiety that someone's going to come and steal my stuff and I grind my teeth all night like a like a coffee grinder or something. I don't know. <laughs> Ray. If you had to bring on an employee, would Chad Laverne be at the top of your list? I'm just curious. Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely, totally not. I mean, uh, for one thing, I look at the criminal record. Another thing I look at is I profile the crap out of, you know, anybody I deal with. And, uh, that even includes my associates, uh, subcontractors, whatever, because do you know what my selling point is, Matt? You're not uh, a shit bag. Does it? Yeah, you're not a shit bag. I was going to say, is it your, how versed you are in uh, psychotherapy too? You can pinpoint. I was going to say people. charm and good looks. I mean, that's, that's what I've, I mean, it's probably on the flyer right there. Like, is it your benchmark? <laughs> no, <laughs> if only your kettlebell acumen. Only... I promise I will only mow your lawn on Max Out Day. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what it actually is is the fact that I'm the only person that uh, that ever shows up on the property, and don't worry. About me because uh, let's just say that I have no motive to steal. None. None whatsoever. 
And yeah, right. Your your integrity shines, and uh, I don't think there's going to be anybody that meets you and immediately thinks to themselves, you know what, that Ray, he's going to steal my welder. I've got a good hunch on it. And if they do think that, chances are they're the one that stole the welder from someone else, and then they're afraid you're going to steal it and return it to the rightful owner. <laughs> and let's be honest, yep. if Ray needs to weld something, he's just going to get pissed and look at it, and that shit will weld itself. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ray will Looking put at you. one hand on the positive terminal uh, terminal of his battery and then use his fingertip to run his bead. It's the damnedest thing you've ever seen. Looking at you, <laughs> lightning bolts friend. out of his fingertips. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but seriously, I you know, I get I get invited into properties where I have either keys or codes to gates and doors. Yep. Seriously. Oh, yeah. And the the reason why I have that is because they know that when they give that to me, I'm the only person that has it, period. It's not like they're talking to some middle manager or supervisor who then uh, hands over those secure devices to Lord knows who, who might probably steal their shit. Uh, no, it's me and me alone. And they also know that uh, I'm rather security-minded because there's been several instances where me being on property is essentially like extra security. Because on, the, on these bigger properties or properties uh, that are you know, prone to trespass, I'm often the one that uh, tells people, no, I don't think the owner knows you. No, I don't think you belong here. Leave. Well, this is, I think this is a good parlay uh, with uh, considering our sponsor. The next article we're going to talk about here is Parks Pay the Price After Virginia Beach Falls into Groundskeeping Staff Shortage. If you live in Virginia Beach, you might have noticed your neighborhood park is becoming overgrown with grass and weeds, or maybe it is already. The weeds at Sawyer Lakes Estate Park were knee-high, and that upset the residents. On Wednesday, 10 on your side asked the city, what's keeping them from mowing parks like Sawyer Lakes Estates before they, uh, before they get overgrown? Their answer, we ain't got nobody to effing mow. Parks and Rec spokeswoman Julie Braley said the department is down 31% in their groundskeeping positions. It's definitely due to COVID, but it's also just what people are experiencing across the country and across industries. There's just a shortage of staff and the ability for people to work. This makes the ability to maintain your neighborhood park a lot harder. The city tried hiring outside help, but was met with the same reality. We're definitely behind on our mowing schedule, and it's a result of staffing, understaffing. We also work with a lot of contractors, landscape businesses, things like that, but they're also experiencing the same shortage as we are. So between us and the contractors, we can't keep up with the mowing schedule. Gentlemen, how much longer is this going to be? And it, how, how sustainable is this long-term? It can't be, right? I was talking to Paul Outlaw about this the other day, and, and that was his question to me. He's like, how much longer is it going to be this way? Because it's not going to be able to be propped up much longer. I, man, I'll tell you what, I thought about this a lot. And to me, 
I don't know that it's going to go away in the next two, three, four years, right? Maybe even a little, little bit longer. And in it's supply and demand, right? So, like, do we do we start paying people thirty bucks an hour, twenty five? But I don't know what that number is, right? I drove down the street today, Matt, here at my new place, seeing Dairy Queen, Dairy Queen hiring for fifteen bucks an hour. Seeing if I go work at Burger King, they're gonna buy me a free iPhone thirteen for going to work there. Like we can't compete with that. And especially like in these guys position, right? A municipal type operation, like those pay scales are set. They're very static. They're not gonna move very much. And you know, what are you gonna say? Hey, I'll I'll buy you donuts on Friday if you come into work all four other days of the week. I'll oh, buy shit, you twelve. I'll eat one on the way. I'll eat one on the way, so you'll get the remaining 11. I'll tell you what, the, the MFers I hate are the people that come in the break room and cut them in half with a knife or something like that. Like, What kind of degenerate? People do this, Matt. I've seen it multiple places. It's absolute. It, these these scoff laws need to be stopped. It's horseshit. It really is. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, it, y- yeah you can't cut a donut in half. You either got to go all in. I mean, and remember, remember, the key to eating a donut, Matt and Ray, is remember you don't go to the donut no you don't go to the donut you bring the donut to you okay that works in all (laughs) all facets of life okay just remember that at all times okay so i don't know how this is all going to play out in terms of i think it's going to be different in each local area like the thing here they they cut off the uh the federal unemployment here in ohio i think june 1st ish or something like that and everybody was like, yeah, man, like this is going to be it. Like they're going to, nope, they didn't come. So then they started offering all these incentives and bonuses and higher wages. And you know what? They still didn't come. So I don't know. I don't know if the workforce just changed. I think, you know, I think a lot of it, I read this article a few weeks ago that um, the author was basically saying, maybe people have just basically said, hey, I'm fed up. I'm pissed off. And I don't really want to work a shitty dead end job anymore. And there's a lot, a lot of people that are like that. I don't know. And, you know, the, the other thing I'll say to this too, real quick to finish up my thought is we've got to do a better job as an industry of portraying that there is a career to be had, right? For young people, for people that are on a, you know, maybe ch- trying to change careers or do something different, you can make a great living and have a lot of fun doing what you're doing, see uh, the results of your work immediately, right? Both short-term and long-term and, I think we've done a piss poor job of that because we've been so damn busy, right? And so busy making money and so busy dealing with staff shortages, budget shortages, everything like that, that we have, you know, shot ourselves in the foot in terms of making people aware of this as a career path, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's tough. I don't know how to tell people to make it any better right now, but um, yeah, don't be the guy that eats the donut and don't definitely be the guy that eats half a donut, right? You You just, you go to hell. All right, just go to hell. <laughs> when it when it comes to he, he, here's the thing too is from a consumer standpoint, what is the consumer willing to pay? That's for maintenance. The million dollar question, right? I just looked at. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna back this up, right? I just looked at um, a family member of mine has a condo in a development here, about ten acres, right? And I know what it should cost for a landscape company to come in. Do all the mowing, the bed maintenance, trimming, uh, pruning, mulching, all that kind of stuff. So I'm looking at 
these bids, right? And there's one that is probably, uh, well, I'll just kind of throw round numbers out. There's one that was about a hundred thousand dollars, and I thought, man, that's that's kind of high, but I know that this company does, you know, extra good work, and they will pay their people whatever they need to pay them to deliver the results that they guarantee that you'll give you, right? And then I looked at a couple other ones. That came into my head was a hundred thousand dollars for a ten acre condo like that. Yeah. Damn, you're good. Still got it, baby. Amen. I love you. Still got it. I love you. Still got it. Yep. Still got it. You should just you should just get out there for fun and estimate like five properties a week. The half donut people. I'm still in my head on that. I'm not gonna lie. Like I'm I'm telling you. I might have a picture. I don't have a picture workers in my history, right? And the worst the idea of someone cutting a donut. Sick. The worst and most egregious one I ever saw somebody cut it using a spork. So it wasn't even like a good cut. Like it was all jagged and shit. Oh, yeah. It was like saber tooth. It was bad. I'm telling you, this is the carnage I've seen, right? These are the stories and the demons I live with. Okay. So these um, people procreate. They're probably teaching the kids to cut donuts in half. Oh, it's okay, Jimmy. You know, you only get half as fat if you do it this way. Here's oh, a copy man, of Lawn you're... Boy. Good luck. <laughs> no, y'all, y'all are triggering me right now with this talk about half donuts because you know what? I associate a half donut with half brain. <laughs> Pencil no. dicks? Oh. No. I'm going to say it. Fat women that then <laughs> proceed to put everyone around them on a damn diet. Okay? Because... Bill, you know cut what? that donut in half. Yeah, because... How many you know points is that? Do you know what will get me more than having my more crushed? A half a donut and a Diet Coke? Cheating yourself or and not treating woman? yourself? No. Or the woman that eats a half a donut and a Diet Coke that then thinks that the rest of her family needs to be on a freaking diet. You need to go on the Matt Martin Lawn Boy diet, which is a pack of Camel Lights and a, and a Mountain Dew. That's how you do it. That's how you do $1,000 a day right there. You know those combos, those, those, those cheddar cheese or, pizza combos look good at the gas station when you're picking up that Mountain Dew, but you got the willpower to say, no, not today. Or or you or you go on the green dock diet. <laughs> Twelve thousand calories and let's go spray eighty gallons out of a backpack with a weed whacker and shit on the back. Yet you snort your, your home milled flour and then drink water to produce the biscuits internally in lieu of uh, actually <laughs> baking them. <laughs> Snort and gulp biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> last part of the story here to, to finish up real quick so you can hear this right a couple companies in the middle but there was this big massive national company that was at like 55 grand and i'm like and this relative of mine is like well well look how much cheaper these guys are i'm like man you're gonna have you're gonna have your hands full right like there's gonna be nights of heartache when everybody that lives in your complex are gonna be absolutely raking you over the coals because Something to get didn't get mowed. Something didn't get you know cut, trimmed, whatever. There's weeds in the beds. Like if you think that's worth whatever a year, hey, go ahead, save a little bit of money. 
but I don't understand how these guys are pricing jobs. It's just, it's, it's out there. It's whacked out. That's, it's tough. It's tough out there. I, I get to experience that uh, all the time myself where, and just as an aside, you know what I say to these parks departments that have trouble keeping up with mowing? Your best friend is weed control and PGRs. Uh, you, you know, know what I was I say say. That? Go ahead. You tell me why, and then I'm going to counterpoint you. Go. No. Do you know why I say that? It's because when you have a uniform monostand of actual grass, no weeds, and that grass is also at a controlled rate of growth, your need to mow is drastically reduced because I lived that lesson because, by the way, I am, I am so glad that I have a two-and-a-half-gallon bottle of Cutlass in my garage right now because everybody's oh, yeah, lawn is going to get that. Yeah, because everybody's lawn is going to get that this week. Yeah, that's, that's raised up. That's Ray's comprehensive and collision package right there is a high rate of cutlass. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of cutlass, um, can we talk about army worms real quick? Because this has to be <laughs> the absolute dumbest article I've read this week. Uh, that is for certain. This is an opinion piece from a guest columnist, David Tomaszewski. In defense of army worms, they aren't exactly the scourges of lawns. Recent articles have depicted the fall army worm as an unwelcome visitor, a scourge of lawns, and a pest requiring prompt insecticide application. That's one way to look at it, but not the only way. I want to share a rarely heard perspective on the fall army worm. Conditions have been right for unusually high populations this year, year leading folks to take notice as the caterpillars consume their favorite diet, our lawns. How can you know if your lawn is housing fall armyworms? Look for bird activity and blah, 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 blah. Surely this is a good thing. What about the lawn damage? Although caterpillars can turn a lawn brown, they don't directly kill the base of the grass, which sends up new shoots. As long as the base stays hydrated, then the grass can regrow. Running a sprinkler during the heat of the day can help ensure the grass rejuvenates. This may be practical for some, but it won't work for those with large lawns or people who aren't around to run a sprinkler midday. So how can these folks judiciously respond to fall army worms? To answer this, we must first acknowledge two points. Ohio wildlife needs our help, and we can offer that through what we choose to plant in our lawns. The solution, gentlemen, is to eliminate as much of your lawn as possible and replace it with native plants. Ha ha! That will show the army worms who's boss. And listen, I am, uh, I'll elaborate, last, last spring, some friends and I, we started a pollinator garden. Good. I'm sure you and your friends are both equally weird. Um, I am a huge fan of, of planting natives and landscaping. I think that's a good thing. I think having uh, a di diversification of, of biodiversity in, in situations like that, even in a home lawn type of setting, I think is a great thing. However, to make the case that because army worms were bad this year, you should rip out your lawn and replace it with all natives is a bit preposterous. Listen, if you, and I'm going to, I'm going to tone it down. I was, I was starting to sweat there a little bit. <laughs> I, 
I think that everybody that is doing landscape projects right now should look at get the, or at least take into consideration native alternatives to your typical nursery stock, 100%. However, these articles that continue to paint these broad ass strokes that lawns equal disaster, lawns equal toxicity, lawns equal bad, uh, has got to stop because now here we are in defensive army worms they're killing our lawns which is actually a good thing that is a good thing because why lawns equal bad it's so overplayed it's so overhyped and it's such bullshit when does it stop does it ever stop is this the new trajectory we're headed and we're just gonna wind up in this never-ending stream of shitty information about the practicality of lawns and the advantages of turf. Is it gone for good? <laughs> I would say that probably that the, the, at least being able to talk about it in a, in a sensible and reasonable format, right? That, that, that both sides could, well, one, that, that, the reality is there's probably like a whole bunch of people in the middle that probably just don't even care, right? Just like any other issue. And then you've got people like uh, David here, right, that certainly have a position that lawns are not good, right? And then you got people like us that are staunchly in support of turf and understand the benefits of it. I would say that being able to have a sensible conversation with um, the people, the 80% or so of people that are in the middle of that is dwindling, and dwindling in the sense that you can't have a conversation without there being some type of emotional response first, either for or against. Like we get emotional, right? And uh, that's because we have a lot invested, right? Time, money, effort, all those types of things, right? And I just wish that there could be a more substantive conversation about, hey, there are places where turf absolutely makes sense. There's places where it doesn't and something different might make more sense and it's okay that both of those things exist right and there are it's okay that turf even though it is a mono standard and it's not nearly as biodiverse as what some of these other um, alternatives are but there are real and clear benefits to what it does right and certainly things that these other alternatives may not be able to accomplish right in an urban suburban or rural setting so I, I just wish that people would have an open mind and could have a discussion, right, without digging their heels in and saying, well, you know, you guys are poisoning the earth. Well, I don't know if that's the case there, Ombre. I think really what you could, if you wanted to point fingers and talk about um, maybe what's happening is, right, the people that we call out on this show, right? So professional applicators that don't have uh, best practices and employ those, Ray, or even worse, Joe Sixpack homeowner, right, that has the weed killer and says, well, if some's good, the more's gooder. That's what they say down there in, in Mississippi, right? I'm going to kill them yes. weeds good. I'm going to give it. This is, you see this here, bub? This is electric chair herbicide, right? Old Sparky. <laughs> Listen here, lawn boy. If there's one thing I want, I want them dead, them damn weeds deader than dead. Whatever you got to do to do that is what you're going to do. Deader than dead. By any means necessary. And you know what, Long you know boy. what Matt? They they'd love me, you know, 
in those parts because I provide deader than dead without causing, you know, what I'd call environmental carnage. Uh, I'm not nisting stuff up in the air. I'm not, uh, oh, I think it's a good idea to go put some uh, MSM in a uh, steel mist blower and let's fly that sucker out at uh, a half an ounce per acre and only five gallons of water. Let's go. Let's send it. Uh, You know, I don't do those kind of things. But unfortunately, you know what? People always remember the lay public. They remember when somebody in the industry or else their own neighbors does these kind of things and doesn't follow best practices. And you're right, Ryan. Those are exactly the kind of people that we hop on and we get up their ass. Like, uh, you know what my question is? You remember that uh, fellow on the on one of the videos where he was just crop dusting the entire neighborhood with uh, freeway <laughs> from that from this lawn application? Yeah, and you then know, he had the roasted bushes in his parents' front yard the next yeah. week when he came back. Hey, yeah, I got to smoke, wonder. Smoked him, Matt. Smoked, smoked it. Him. Smoked it. So, no, I got to wonder. How do his neighbors All feel of it. when their trees and shrubs curl up and drop all their all their leaves? I gotta wonder because I know I'd be in so such big trouble if I did something like that. I went out there and selectively hashtag smoked it. Hashtag, hashtag smoked it. Hey, yeah. Hey, I selectively <laughs> hammer thrusted everything that wasn't grass in this entire <laughs> neighborhood. Sheila, everything. She, oh, everything. Yeah, everything 250 feet within 250 feet of this lawn is now dead. You know that (laughs) Sheila checked the lawn boy box on Pornhub for sure. Oh, yuck. (laughs) With that said, let's check on this week's returns. Gentlemen, because I know y'all all care so much, Patriots owner Robert Kraft was joined by his team of women from Jupiter, Florida. Oh, wait, I misread that. Was joined Wednesday <laughs> oh. at Gillette Stadium by Colin Smith, uh, FIFA Chief Tournament and Events Officer, uh, Victor So-and-So Vice President of CONCACAF, and Brian Bielo, uh, Bilelo, something-something, soccer-soccer-soccer-soccer. <laughs> After taking control of the Patriots in 94, Robert Kraft quickly had a grass surface installed at Foxborough uh, Stadium in an attempt to attract games for that year's World Cup. He intends to do something similar should Gillette Stadium's bid for the 2026 World Cup games be approved. Plans have been presented to FIFA officials who joined Kraft and Revolution President Brian Bellello in kicking off a nine-city tour at Gillette Stadium Wednesday morning. In effect, they're talking about putting in a grass surface, and Gillette Stadium fits the bill because they've got, well, the space to have the the field width uh, and also the pitches required for our favorite American pastime known as soccer. Uh, It's cool, right? Like soccer's uh, great on a global scale, draws a lot of viewers, right, and uh, and provides a lot of positive exposure because 
I firmly believe that there's a certain amount of importance that comes along with sports in, in, uh, in uniting people, right? And why not do so on a global scale with a global game like soccer? So I think this is great. What's more interesting to me is that they want natural turf. Hey, Matt, here's what I'm going to say about that. You know how there's almost no natural turf athletic areas here in Hawaii? I did not know that. You did not know that? There are almost none. Almost none. So, having said that, there were, I guess, national or even international soccer games that were supposed to be played here and the team objected because the condition of that synthetic turf surface was such that it would become an injury hazard to the players themselves. Yeah, these guys, they, they, they don't like to play on turf and they won't in many cases, especially international players. Like they... They get freaked out about it. So, and rightfully so. I mean, that's it's like a leading cause of injury to them, right? Yeah, I, there's, exactly. there's, a, go ahead, Ray. Yeah, exactly. Because what is synthetic turf, Ryan? Uh, I, I, I'm going to tease something up for you. How is that constructed on a field uh, for, for our listeners here? So a field at that level would be at least a six-inch aggregate base, right? So that's going to be limestone or Rock. gravel, depending on where you're at. Rock, Rock. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Typic- typically, at that level, you will have a shock pad that goes underneath of it, right? And that shock pad is kind of like a foam, like a memory foam almost, that you have on a mattress. Mm-hmm. And that How is thick meant is that? to uh, typically one inch thick. Sometimes up to an inch and a half, so that can provide uh, an extra layer of cushioning, right, to mimic or attempt to mimic the surface firmness of what natural grass would be, right. So then, on top of that, you lay the carpet itself, which is just a bunch of uh, knitted nylon, or excuse me, knitted polyester. Knitted nylon is the old style, like the old astroturf, right? So knitted polyester. And then inside of that, they will infill that with a combination of sand and rubber. The sand has a higher bulk density. It will fall down in between the fibers where they're knitted into the backing to protect those because if that goes, then basically lose all structure of the turf and don't have the right footing. And then the rubber goes on top and that acts as basically the cushion and the interface between the athlete's cleats and the surface itself, right? So in soccer, there is some... Uh, data out there um, that there's less risk than than football, right? Because you don't have quite as much of the body to ground or head to ground contact that you do in football, American football, I should say. So um, that hasn't been really well studied, though. You know, widely across, especially the United States, right? And the other thing I'll mention too is, but the lower levels, right? That shock pad is becoming a little bit more, uh, I, w- I would say, standard in many cases, but the vast majority of fields that are out there that you see in um, you know, the high school and collegiate levels currently 
are more than likely don't have that shock pad. So it's basically just the stone, the turf backing, and then you're right onto carpet. So Lovely. can be a little bit difficult. Can be a little bit difficult um, to manage surface firmness there. Now, all that said, the 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 most compelling argument here uh, with natural versus synthetic real quick is that there's this really awesome study that was done at the university of virginia i think it came out last year two years ago now and it, it was a kind of a um cross-disciplinary team of they had a turf guy on there they had uh, people that were involved in biomechanics people that were orthopedists all the you know all kind of different people that would understand um both the surface and the athlete that were playing on it what they found at the NFL level was that there was a 16, I believe it was 16% higher incidence of lower extremity injuries on synthetic turf over natural grass turf. Now, that's a pretty significant number, right? 16%. But this is also on the most highly maintained fields in the world for that sport. So you can imagine that as the lower level you go, right, and the maintenance gets wildly different, right? the more divergent and possibly bigger that that number could be. Now that's just me saying that, right? So turf truth, if you're listening, please check my data and you can wreck me if you need to. But what I'm saying is that we can extrapolate at least um, qualitatively, right? That it's probably going to be worse, right? At the lower levels because we have such inconsistent maintenance or inconsistency between maintenance. So, all that said, I'm, I'm, you know, happy that Robert Kraft is doing this. The only thing I'll say is this is also the guy that they had one bad game. Um, I don't know if they, I can't, I think they lost against the Jets in 2006, and they had a road trip and a bye week coming up, and the guy put turf in like literally in two weeks, took out the natural grass field, put turf in, and they played the rest of the season on turf. That's hardcore. Yeah, he's got one hell of a reputation in Florida too, you know. Yeah, at the club. Oh yeah, at the club. At the club. Oh, yeah, that's a very nice way of seeing where he was caught. That, yeah, that was you a pay very the, nice way of seeing where he was caught at. <laughs> you you pay the cover. Whatever else happens is between two consenting adults. Speaking of consenting mm. adults, no consenting adults <laughs> here, gentlemen. LiDAR-powered lawn care solves big problem for utilities. I guess I'm pronouncing that correctly. LiDAR? LiDAR? LiDAR. 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 How do you stop LIDAR. weeds from o- overtaking that multi-million dollar solar facility? Which is a question I've never asked. Uh, thanks to <laughs> confluence of sensor developments and automation technologies, the answer is to call in the robots. Sean Smith. Put on your helmet, sir. A company called Renew Robotics has developed a unique robotic mower for utility grounds management. The company just announced a multi-year agreement with LiDAR developer Veladine LiDAR Inc., which makes a small sensor called the Puck. Oh, what? Sorry, I way popped that too hard. Uh, that can be used for an autonomous navigation system. Uh, Veladine's Puck sensors provide an essential ingredient for a robotic autonomy and navigation. The power-efficient sensors enable the Renewbot to deliver an automated vegetation management system that is repetitive and reliable to keep facilities operating at peak performance while controlling the cost. Gentlemen, we've now got robots that handle vegetation management and they look to do so more so from a uh, from a mowing perspective. So we have a highly advanced robot mower to mow around solar panels. Is this really that much different than the technology we already see out there um or is it just marketed in such a way 
maybe some finer precision, but marketed in such a way that uh, leads people to believe that it's more than what it actually is. I mean, I, I'm not aware of any other mower technology right now, and I, I don't know the market all that well. I'll say that, but I don't know of anybody else that's using lidar, right? From what a, is lidar? From a terms, can can we start there? What's so Ray? You lay it down for him because I understand what it does, but you you're going to be able to give a better explanation. Lidar is a form of sensing equipment that uh, is in fact very precision and what LiDAR can do is it basically can scan an area and judge distances very well because last thing you need in this case is that robotic mower crashing into that uh, support for the solar panels and taking the whole works down. Matt, so, if you have like if you have like um, obstacle avoidance or whatever on your car, if you get the the dinging noise when you're too close to another car or there's a deer out in front of you, that's using lidar. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm okay. I'm looking at some of these pictures here. It almost looks uh, a bit like a it creates like a 3D model of uh, of kind of the surroundings, in effect. Exactly, yeah. And so what that what that enables the this autonomous mower to do is very accurately avoid collisions with uh, objects, and uh, because I'm I'm looking at what they're mowing around and what if i told you guys i would absolutely refuse to operate mowing equipment in a solar panel farm i won't do it in fact my recommendation to when i uh was asked by somebody that was going to open a solar farm here in hawaii was i told them i suggest you put down gravel and geotextile under that under that solar farm and make sure you have a good vegetation management program in place two words right pollinator garden no i have one word for you i had one word for you had to bring that didn't you no i had one word for and i actually had one word for those guys for those guys, actually, vegan. Uh, <laughs> Chernobyl. Oh, I just told them Chernobyl. I thought Uncle you were going to say lab grown, lab grown meat. No, Chernobyl I mean, I, I, or Paul. You know, what a, what a great place to have a pollinator garden, though, is uh, at a uh, uh, solar farm. Yeah, a field of solar farms. You know, in, in circular economy. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say that I, I vote for that. Let's do that. I've got a feeling the owner operators of those solar farms though would uh they'd be calling in the lidar autonomous mowers and the gravel crew and uh someone with many many hundreds of gallons of amazapir to come take care of it though. Just my guess. Chernobyl. Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's uh let's check on the mailbag real quick and see what we got. You've got mail. 
Okay, to follow up from Dave last week, guess what? We put the bat signal out to Dave. Dave was the one who was asking about the uh, slow-release nitrogen sources and uh, incorporating them into his uh, into his program. And Demay, I, I, I think you were you put out the bat signal there and was like, you know what, Dave, you should come on and talk to us. And you know what, Dave is going to come on and talk to us, gentlemen. So shout out to Dave for answering the bat signal. He's coming in, swinging, awesome. rope swinging, wang slinging. Something or another. I kind of went off the radar there. Went off the um, lidar. Fell off. Wait, my wait, lidar wait, broke wait. on that one. You turned into blonde <laughs> boy there for a second, dog. I know all this <laughs> pollinator talk had me uh, a little in touch with my flower side. Dave's gonna come on Thirsty Thursday, October the uh, right when we get back from GIE, October twenty eighth. After we get back from GIE, and we're gonna talk all about nitrogen. That is. Excellent and exciting. That'll be fun. Ooh. But before we get out of here today, gentlemen, do you have any closing remarks? Lay it on me. Ray, what's on your mind? What do you need to get off your chest? What do you need to confess to? And uh, we will absolve you of your sins before we head out of here. Thankfully, uh, as I said, I didn't kill the person that crushed my mower. Uh, I have already this morning, uh, you know, been uh, you know had some follow-up calls from people and i already put them on notice that uh guess what you're getting gross regulated this week mm. you're getting gross regulated i mean <laughs> time to shut it down demay give us some closing thoughts here uh i got a busy week ahead of me and i've convinced myself that i'm gonna buy donuts for every client that i go see this week we're just gonna do it. Ooh, send at least it. We're not. Send we it. don't have to worry about any half donuts being missing out of that box when they arrive because you know why. Demay is a damn man. End of story, gentlemen. I want to thank you all for hanging out today, and for all the listeners, I want to thank you for listening as well. We'll catch you on Friday for this week's Thirsty Friday with John the Lawn Forum. Where see ya.